Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the overlap. Welcome back to the post-World Cup era, uh, as, as we call it in the 2022-2023 season. It's, uh, it's definitely been weird, like transitioning back from post-World Cup football to club football. Like, I don't know about you, Rian, but like, I am, I'm just not there yet mentally. <laughs> like, mainly, maybe it's because like, I haven't seen my club play. That might be it. Like, I think like when we all see our clubs play for like for the first time post World Cup, it'll be normal. But like right now, no, it feels really weird. I'm like not, I'm not there yet. I'm still processing everything from from Qatar. But anyway, it's the holiday season still, kind of. We're um we're past Christmas. Recording this what on a Wednesday, and New Year's is coming up. So basically, in the corporate world, at least, no one's really doing much of anything. Um, how are you? How are you though? You're you're off. You're enjoying some time, uh, as you should. Yeah, no, it's been a good few days of like, I don't know, running errands basically, um, but like doing it in that relaxed state. And while I'm lucky that I have off for the entire week, like my company gives off, and then um, back in next Tuesday, I think it is. So. Trying to do as much as I can to make myself feel not like a piece of shit for <laughs> these days that I'm <laughs> I'm be off and, and still being paid for. So like it's it's uh really just trying not to feel like a piece of shit. I don't know. Nice. No, that's gonna be the title of the podcast. Uh, trying and, to and, not and, feel and, that way. And and that's not <laughs> that's not to like. Say if I did relax and just like watch TV all the time, if someone was doing that, like you, you know, you're not you're not a piece of shit. That's not to say that. Yeah, but, uh, yeah. Who are you actually doing out of whatever? <laughs> yeah, I'm not so not to not to shame anyone. I'm not shaming, <laughs> no kink shaming here at all. All right, but <laughs> this would be the wildest start, start to a like podcast. A <laughs> Wow. Yeah. Okay. I'm good. I'm going to let you have this one because this is not the hill I'm going to die on, but yeah, I did not expect this start at all. Anyway, um, I'm glad you're doing well and everyone deserves a break every <laughs> once in a while. It's super needed. It's uh, it's deserved in fact, but with the return of club football and the Premier League really kicking it off before we get into La Liga, Liga, Bundesliga, um, Boxing Day has always been kind of like a traditional start time for not start time, but a big football day in in England. So obviously the purpose of this podcast, we're going to spend a lot of time there. Rian, when we last left off before the World Cup, I want to remind you of a couple things. I want to remind you of where we were before uh, we all went off to Qatar and talked about Argentina winning. We were talking about a Arsenal team that was flying in first. They were, I think, five points clear at the time of Manchester City in second. Newcastle were making a push, and Chelsea had not won in how many games? Was it five games? Seven games? Something like that. Um, and yeah, I think at that point, you probably thought to yourself, well, this is turning into maybe some sort of two-legged race between City and Arsenal right now pulling away. And while at the time of the recording, we have not seen City play Leeds, but we have seen an Arsenal without Gabriel Jesus, excuse me, look just the same as they did before the World Cup. Maybe partially guided by the fact that some of their, not all of them, but we talked about this a little bit before the World Cup, some of their biggest players did not go to the World Cup. We are seeing a Manchester City side that I'm sure is no different, but a Liverpool side as well. That has now come back in, I believe, won three in a row now, um, which is something that they had not done, I believe, all season up until this point. So not too much has changed, but I guess I'm not entirely convinced that this is like a two-horse race of some sort. And we have to start and talk about Arsenal and talk about that West Ham game. 3-1 win at home at the Emirates. That's... Again, at the time of recording, now what? There's seven points clear of Manchester City in, or I guess, is it technically Newcastle in second? I actually forget because Gil City have not played. It's confusing. Um, but how how impressed were you with Arsenal's win against West Ham? Yeah, extremely impressed, honestly. Like, 
I think it's kind of important to also say that I wasn't surprised that they were able to come back to win. Um, that wasn't that as much of a surprise as how kind of dominant they were, no matter what the game state was, like no matter what the score line was. Leading up to the penalty, I thought they were pretty much in control. It's kind of just like a, it was a bad challenge by Saliba. And, uh, and it was one of those few times where the attacker tries to stay up and is fouled and so gets the sh- kind of gets the shot away. Um, but the referee actually like rewards the player for st- trying to stay up because like <laughs> we've seen a lot of cases where guys try to just flop over or they do the flop over and, and that's the only way sometimes they can get the penalty. But he actually tried to stay up and, and ran through the contact and, Anyway, that was nice to see. I hope we see more of that. But uh, overall, from like Arsenal, they were just dominant the in, pretty much the entire game. Like that f- first half, even though they went down a goal, and you know, I, I think you kind of started to think, oh, well, this will kind of be this will be a bummer. Like they were they weren't one they weren't playing that poorly, but also like you know that that goal was pretty much the only thing that. West Ham was able to put together like a good sequence. Like they were able to, to counterattack, I thought, pretty decently well because Antonio was was still so good at just like holding the ball up. Um, but that was really the only time they were able to really get a good chance inside the box, and it just felt a little disappointing for for Arsenal going to that half down one. But as that half wore on and on, like you could just kind of see, I mean, my thought at the end of the first half, and I don't know if you felt the same, but I was just like, they're going to score at some, they're going to, they're going to get a goal back in this game. Um, I was, it was just like, a, when is the goal, when is the goal going to come? But you could tell the goal was coming. I mean, they, the first half, they had 24 touches in um, West Ham's defensive penalty box. So Arsenal had 24 touches in the, uh, attacking penalty box versus West Ham's eight. And, and so the, the domination was there. Like they just kept getting to the, uh, to the penalty box, the final third, whenever they wanted. I think at some point West Ham just started dropping deeper and deeper as well like in that first half, at least. But I just felt like it was always coming in. And then kind of the release of, of scoring those two goals in the second half um, to take the lead. And then finally that great, Third goal by Nketiah. I thought they were impressive throughout, and and it it never felt like they started panicking at any point. That's what impressed me, and and that kind of sustained pressure and dominance that they had over the state of play of the game was what was really impressive for me. One hundred percent. You touched on a couple really really strong things that I was going to mention as well. I'll just start with West Ham for a second because. In that first half, right when they, especially when they scored, after that point, West Ham accrued about 0.3 additional XG throughout the rest of the game. Then they finished with an XG of like 1.07. So not that XG is everything and anything in the statistics world, but it is definitely a metric of the fact that West Ham did not create many chances thereafter and certainly throughout the entire game. The one thing about Arsenal that you mentioned that I loved is that they didn't freak out about that early goal. Well, not early goal, but they didn't freak out about the goal in the first half. And there was no drop in sustained pressure from them. And I thought one of the most impressive parts about it is that when they did have chances and when the second half really started to open up, you always felt like there was an additional goal coming. And I think that came from the fact that their midfield was so quick in recovering the ball. And there were times, even in that second half, where you saw Mikel Antonio, he started to get frustrated, like compared to that first half, especially with service to him and even his own touch. And those two metrics right there, I think, tell you all you need to know about A, how West Ham play, but B, how Arsenal were very, very quick in being able to, to recover the ball. And we can talk about Nketiah's goal, which, as I said to you uh, off off air, uh, was very Dennis Burkamp-esque, and you got mad at me for that. Uh, so I won't let you live that down. 
but it just didn't it, make it, any. It didn't make any sense. <laughs> it, it wasn't anything like the Merkamp. It was. Goal. It, I maybe honestly wonder if you've, if you've ever seen the Merkamp goal. <laughs> <laughs> no, of course, of course, I've seen it. It was obviously not nearly the same caliber and a very different move. But it was honestly the vibes were the same. Completely. It was a cool turn. He didn't touch the it ball. Was, he let it run. He just let the ball run through. He didn't touch the ball. He rolled the, again. He rolled the center back, which is impressive. <laughs> but like that's not at all what happened in Burkett's goal. I don't. I don't get, I don't get how you. I, yeah. Okay. Uh, well, that, that Rihanna's just sense. not here. Yeah, you're not here for the vibes. That's what I've. That's what I've concluded. Anyway, the, the point I was trying to make about Arsenal was quick uh, midfield recoveries, frustrating Mikel Antonio um, when they did at any point have the ball in the second half, and then thirdly, when it comes to his attacking sequences and their involvements, what I love about um, the Opta stats here is that in top ten players that had attacking sequence involvements, only one West Ham player is involved in that top ten, and that's Ben Rama. Everyone else is an Arsenal player and five out of the 10 uh, or five, I guess, out of the nine Arsenal players that were there had five or more uh, sequence involvements, whether that's a buildup to a shot, uh, a specific shot itself, uh, or a chance that's created. And of course, Saka and, and Odegaard, who I'm sure we'll get onto in a second, um, both having the most number of, of chances and shots between them. I, I thought this was a very dominant performance as well. And one of the things that I know we've talked about, and I think you feel this way especially, is that Odegaard is is making the case for player of the year right now, right? In his consistency across performances. Do you feel like this is, again, A, one step towards that again? And I'm curious who you think, who else might be in that competition, especially as it relates to him. Yeah, like he was fantastic again today like or yesterday i should say um i it wasn't really any different than a lot of his other performances it was it was just like one of the few times where they actually converted on a couple of on a, a couple of his good passes and and funny enough like the the funny thing about like this kind of like variance a great example of variance here so where he plays all those great passes that sometimes end with a shot that is not good enough to to score. Sometimes they don't even end with the shot. Um, sometimes it's blocked. Whatever the outcome is, that that isn't a goal. That that the pass is so good it might deserve a goal. And then you get his uh, assist to I think it was I think it was Saka's goal, right? Uh, where he's fully just shooting and it just happens to go perfectly into Sokka's stride and, and he finishes. And I think that made it two one or, or no, I think that made, that's what actually equalized the game. Um, yep. So it's, it's just really funny. Like he <laughs> plays all those great passes. And then like one of the times that he gets an assist, it's, it's from um, kind of something that he didn't, wasn't necessarily meaning to do, which I think is another argument about like, where assist stats can be very noisy, but outside of that, he was fantastic. Um, he had two assists overall in the game. He's now at six goals and four in assists in the league. Uh, in terms of league ranks, he's seventh in expected assists per 90, third in shot creating actions per 90 and, and six, sixth in Europe's big five leagues. And then the, the, the one of the stats that surprised me is that he's fourth in successful dribble percentages. So, um it's completed almost 70 percent of his dribbles this season so so you know kind of showing that impact in two different ways whether it's passing or carrying the ball itself and yeah i think he's got to be up there in terms of the the candidates for for player of the year i, I think my other the, the other guys i would put in my top three at least would be like de bruyne and holland i mean you, you kind of look at these if you go into like FB ref and, and you look at um, Odegaard's stats and you look at like the percentile ranks that they have on there and you just like kind of click on any of the ones where he's like 95, 97, 98, 99 percentile, you click on it and the guy's 99 percentile for almost all of them is Kevin De Bruyne. And, and I had to remind myself how good of a season he's had so far. Like he's a, he has three goals, nine assists, and, and he's just been amazing again. Um, and then, and Holland would be the other candidate because there's, I don't know how many goals he's going to end up scoring this season. He could, he could get 
close to forty. He could if he scores forty goals, it's gonna be it's gonna be hard to make it's gonna be a hard argument. Him, but then again, if he scores. If he scores 40, there's a decent chance that De Bruyne ends up with, like, 25 assists. So that's going to also be hard to argue against. <laughs> they might just be a duo at that point, actually. Yeah, that's that's super yeah. valid. I think um, the, the one thing to keep in mind, too, is with, with Odegaard specifically is he might not have the attacking... I guess talent in front of him. It, it, to be fair, most teams in the world wouldn't have that in in Erling Holland, yeah. <laughs> but at the same time, his individual contribution to the team, right, is in and of itself, I think, the most impressive part. Because if you do take him out of that Arsenal side, I, I don't know how you find the creative talent to replace that. Same thing with Kevin De Bruyne, of course, but I think it's. I think you're better balanced by having someone like Erling Holland, who, let's say, if Bernardo Silva or Gundogan plays a slide through pass from left hand side, right, and Erling Holland's going to find a way to to get that ball. Um, so I think it's a little bit different, but still, absolutely no slight to any of those players. The the one thing about yeah. Arsenal West Ham, uh, do you want to say something? Oh no, just just like one more one more thing on on the Odegaard here. Like you talked about it earlier about their their midfield. Um, being so dominant in that game, and you know he's a big part of that too as well on the attacking side, right? Where, I mean, I we I said it last, I think it was last season where it's kind of like you look around. There's really not a lot of num like traditional number ten players anymore, like in general. Like, and and part of that has to do with like tactics have forced teams to play wider because teams just don't most on most for the most part like the defenses realize that that whole middle area right in front of the box is kind of the secret sauce of of creating a lot of attacking chances and just force everything wide so it's harder to to have that type of player but at least i just want to i want to try something out on the we're just on visual now um i'm gonna try the share button here because i took a look at like the heat maps from this game for, for Arsenal, and I was floored from this just because it's not something that you see very much, right? So I'm very intrigued as to where this is going. Here. Let's see. Let's see if this. Let's see if this will work. One of the best parts about this too is we're, we're literally demo testing live right now. <laughs> well, I'm hoping that people that are watching, sorry, this, go on, uh, someone on Spotify. <laughs> can uh can see what you're about to share too i have no i truly have no idea how it's gonna work but i'm hoping so for for anyone who's <laughs> listening to this right now like at least this is the heat map from chelsea's win against bournemouth you see just like a lot of a lot of play for chelsea like in the back and and kind of a huge hole in the middle of the pitch for them attacking yeah. wise Liverpool's against Villa, as you'd expect, a lot on the flanks, especially on the right flank for uh, Alexander-Arnold. Just huge, huge globs of, of red heat. Yeah. <laughs> That's the best way to put it. A lot of activity <laughs> there. Um, in United, you kind of see a bit more central activity, but still it's kind of skewed to one side, the left side for United. Newcastle's, it's pretty much all over the place. It's more evenly distributed. Now, we go to Arsenal's. Oh, wow. <laughs> all that activity is in straight through the center of the pitch. And that's where you kind of, that's where, like, they are so impressive because this is really hard to do. This, this, there's, for the people listening, there's only, like, this rectangular box that starts around where Thomas Partey's position is and goes all the way down to basically where you'd expect Martin Odegaard to be. And there's just a red rectangular box there. And you can kind of see where they control these games. And it's so hard to do that, especially against a team like West Ham, who's so well organized. And this whole, like, attacking line of red here, that's our Odegaard. Basically, that's Odegaard. And then, of course, you have Xhaka coming into those positions sometimes and and Sokka as well but a lot of that's about an Odegaard and again like I'll stop sharing now but again that's where you see his impact like that's where you see the impact of of 
a guy who plays a position differently than just about any other midfielder does like you know currently and and other other guys you can think about plays a position like that would be messy and 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 we already know he's an alien of his own but it's it's another feather in the cap for Odegaard and just how impressive that Arsenal win was I love that by the way I've never seen that before we've never we did not prepare (laughs) that like analysis beforehand or anything but if you are looking at this on Spotify, I highly encourage to like repeat that because <laughs> I think that was very, very interesting um, because there are not many teams that are that dominant through the middle. The one curious aspect that I have in talking about how Odegaard compares to the top talent at Manchester City is how does City's heat map going forward the rest of the season compare to that? I'd be very curious to see uh, what that potentially looks like. But yeah, in the interest yeah. of time, and I, and I expect it will look somewhat similar. Just just thinking about the fact of it's Pep and and Arteta yeah. learned a lot of these principles under under him, right? The the school of Pep, if you will. I a hundred percent agree. Um, while the one the one aspect of I guess the Arsenal West Ham piece or that game that I just wanted to ask you about is West Ham are now I believe a point above relegation or the relegation zone. And they're not they're not in the position I think any of us thought they would be at the beginning of the season, right? The squad is largely unchanged from last season after a strong campaign again under David Moyes. What level of panic right there is there right now within within the West Ham squad? Yeah, I think that's that made it four straight losses for them. Um I I think that's obviously worrying, <laughs> but I think like a, in a general sense, um, they are still eighth in terms of expected goal difference per 90. Uh, so I, I think they're going to end up being okay, of course, for, for relegation. I'm not remotely worried about that. Um, I, I do think that, that it would be really disappointing if they were to finish below like eighth, honestly, um, especially after the last couple seasons of finishing in the top six. And having what I think, at least now, is a more is a more talented team than the team that they had in the last couple seasons. Um, like just just talking about this, like individual talent as a whole, right now it's it's not looking like that. I know, but it will be somewhat disappointing for them to finish like around tenth or so close to tenth or something like that. But it it the, I feel like the top half is very competitive this season, so it's. It's very possible they could finish. They could finish around tenth, and I think that'd be really disappointing. But but I'm not worried about them in terms of relegation. But yeah, just disappointing in that sense. Agreed, 100 percent agreed. Um, I the one thing I'm looking for for West Ham going forward in the second half of the season is the answer to the question of which of Skamaka or Mikel Antonio is your your go to striker. From, from now on. Obviously, Skamaka has only scored, I believe now, just one Premier League goal um, and another couple in, in cup tournaments. But he, I, I think that that's just my outstanding question. I feel like he's presented more of a balance um, between that midfield and attack, whereas Mikel Antonio has been such a dominant force, not just physically and not just pace-wise, but also creating high high opportune chances when he gets in the right positions and i i don't know if there's a perfect answer to it quite honestly but it's something that i think that team needs to to figure out in order to get back into a european competition by the end of the season so yeah that would just be my yeah, take we'll we'll say i think i think that um Sumaka might have been out yesterday for the for like a knock or something like that but yes I, and i know that because i accidentally started him in uh in fantasy premier league so anyway <laughs> um i digress but rian let's take a quick break we'll talk about all the other games the the flowers we want to give surprises the disappointments and, and everything and uh we'll talk about the rest very very soon ladies and gentlemen welcome back after the break rian and i realized a fatal mistake we made in the first half we realized, and I brought this up to him, that Rion had failed to mention uh, a wonderful Newcastle player as someone who should be, or potentially is in contention, for player of the year. Uh, a certain Almiron 
and uh, who against scored against Leicester yesterday, uh, as Rihanna remind me, I couldn't remember if he scored or assisted, has had the season of a lifetime after last season creating, I think, the same number of chances at this point as he has through this far into the season. Rian, it's a perfect segue into talking about the game of the weekend, or at least the Boxing Day weekend that you want to talk about in terms of kind of handing your hat or tipping your hat at least to a team that is now in second. I double check they are in second. They're seven points behind Arsenal. Of course, City <laughs> have two games in hand on them at the time of recording. We haven't watched the Leeds game. But Rian, 3-0 win against Leicester. That's, what, six straight in in their last eight or nine Premier League games. Um, I think their only loss all season came to – it must have come to Liverpool early on in the season. That's the only one that I can at least remember. Um, so are we, are we seeing the Saudi Investment Fund turn Champions League um, potential <laughs> winner for next season already? Is that is that happening? <laughs> Oh man, I'd love to say no, but um, <laughs> I, I I also don't want to underestimate the fact that they are not playing in any other competitions this season. That's I don't huge. want to underestimate yeah. that fact. Um, but no, you you kind of hit it. They are on a roll. They haven't lost since August. <laughs> like that's, they haven't lost a Premier League game since August. Like ridiculous. They haven't lost a game in all competitions since August. Like it's it's ridiculous, really. Um, they're again in the way that I don't think many people should be surprised that um, Arsenal were so good against West Ham. Um, I think at this point, nothing that Newcastle does, I think in terms of, you know, staying up in that position around that area, top four should be a huge surprise either. They went into the world cup break with the third best expected goal difference per night per game in the league. Like they were well worth that third place. Um, they were kind of, they were in third place in that margin by, by a bit against um, when you look at Tottenham in fourth. But on top of that, the thing that we've talked about before, where specifically with Miguel Almiron, um, the, 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 guy, the other guy who's probably has a case to be in the top three candidates for a player of the season right now as well. Um, the kind of big difference between this season versus his past seasons. We looked at it earlier this um, season where we saw that he had pretty much the same, very similar amount of touches per game, like compared to his previous seasons at Newcastle. But the difference is just how many have been like in the attacking third. And that has come from Newcastle's high press, which has been so good this season. To put a couple more numbers onto that, they lead the league in high turnovers, which is just, you know, turnovers and turn the ball over in the, in the um, opponent's defensive third. And, then they also lead the league in terms of turnovers that lead to goals, high turnovers that lead to goals, I should say. And I don't know if necessarily the penalty the, uh, um, against Leicester the, for the first goal counted towards that stat, but that definitely was a high turnover where they turned the, yeah. turned the ball over um, and then they end up getting a penalty out of it. So again, like the press is what has been so relentless and so so good from them this season. And that's where... I really don't want to underestimate the fact that that you know, they're really just in they just are playing domestically. All their games are in England and they are in the League Cup still, I think. And so that and then the FA Cup are the only other competitions they have and they're you're not talking about a lot of travel there at all. You're I mean maybe they could make a, a great cup run. I'm not gonna like that is obviously in play. But um having that kind of leeway between weeks to recover and then come back again and be able to press aggressively as you want again, without having to rotate or guys get tired. Um, obviously the five subs is even more of a, of a factor now. Like when you're talking about playing, you're going to end up playing probably around 15 
around 15 fewer games than everyone else who is fighting for top four with them. So I, I, I think you have to really come to grips with the fact that this team has a better chance of finishing in top four than definitely than right now than, than Chelsea does. Um, and you can make the argument have a better chance of finishing than United and Tottenham and every other team that's not above them right now. Like it, it's not a fluke at all. I love I love what you said about it being not a fluke because it's one thing to get to this point and then kind of collapse into the second half of the season. I think about Sevilla from two seasons ago uh, and how they did that in La Liga. This is not that with Newcastle. Like they are only going to continue to get stronger as a squad. And they've already, they've overperformed in terms of their own XG as Rian can tell you, XG per 90, you know, all those statistics. I think one of the, I didn't know this was measured by the way, but high turnovers turned into goals is an incredible statistic to measure and leading that category in the same way that like, I hate to use this analogy, but I'm going to, in the same way that in the NFL, we talk about turnovers being and turnover differential being like one of the most important metrics in football or at least American football is, I think that's the case as well in the Premier League when you do have a lot of teams that may not have a ton of chances or create a ton of chances outside of your cities, Liverpool's, and I guess now Arsenal's of the world. So to be able to capitalize on that, and we saw this in this Leicester game to kind of go back to the game specifically, that alone can push you into top four without it. And and to do it consistently with their high press is the most impressive part of, of how they're, they're playing right now. So, so yes, as so long as that style of play does not drastically shift, obviously bar injury or anything like that, I think they're in good shape. The only thing I, excuse me, want to mention too specifically is I really, really wish that we saw Bruno uh, Gimreich play more for Brazil. (laughs) Like I really, I would love to see him play for Brazil um, just in general, not that, like he should be starting over anyone that's in Brazil starting. Like that's not the case I'm trying to make right now, but he himself had three shots. I think just against Lester alone, he had one big chance created. Like I I think he's a wonderful, wonderful player and still underutilized in a lot of ways. And I I just really want to see him at a a national team level because I think he's, he's earned that um, at, at this point. So that's the only thing I'll say. 100%. 100%, 100%, 100%, yeah. And, and he had the assist for, for Almiron's goal as well, the great one too. So, yeah, this this team is the, – the, the one thing that will be interesting to see as this season goes on is do teams just try to play over that press and, and not even allow the opportunity for, for Newcastle to high-press them, right, and just play longer. Um, that, that'll be the interesting thing to see as the season goes on and teams are, you know, finally – catch up with the fact that yes, Newcastle is this good. You have to, you might have to change the way you play against them. 100%. Well, Rian, do you want to move on and talk about the, the surprise of this past weekend? I know the January transfer window is not fully open, um, but obviously this is not a, a surprise because it is official. So we can uh, talk about, talk about it as if it is official, uh, which it is as a reminder, mm-hmm. but Cody Gakpo is coming to not Manchester United, but Liverpool after a wonderful, wonderful performance in the World Cup, scoring three goals for the Netherlands. Obviously, they were knocked out by Argentina in the quarterfinals. Any excuse to mention that, of course. But Cody Gakpo has been a standout (laughs) player in the Eredivisie for the last two seasons, I'd say. Um, He's been involved in something like 81 shots and 18 goals uh, following a ball carrier dribble from himself over the last two seasons. And across Europe's top five, there are only three other players who have been involved in more shots uh, via their own carries. That's Vinicius Jr., Kylian Mbappe, and Rafael Leal. That's very good company to hold yourself in right now in terms of young players. And quite honestly, I'm overly impressed with what I've seen so far with him as a player. Now, what I will say is I have a lot of question marks about how he might fit into Liverpool. And I've talked to a couple of Liverpool fans about it. I've talked to uh, some friends about it as well. I'm just really curious to get 
your initial reaction to this and then i'll kind of share my thoughts about how i potentially see him fitting in at liverpool or maybe not fitting in yeah i think it was definitely a surprise in terms of how quick everything was reported i refuse to believe that liverpool made this decision in the last like 48 hours that wouldn't even really make sense with the holidays but <laughs> but the fact that they did move so quickly like in in the end here um was what was surprising honestly um a player that plays in a position that and i'm sure you might get onto this that is a bit congested um with the, they had to play alex oxley chamberlain yesterday uh or two days ago i think now uh and and elias i <laughs> i i know that i texted you about it you when you when you were surprised that they got gakpo and i was just like you know they they, <laughs> they saw how it sounds like chamberlain and then and someone said that's enough <laughs> and, just and, pay the bag <laughs> and, and, yeah um but but you know even taking him out of there there's diogo jota and luis diaz that can both play in that position um you know, Luis Diaz has exclusively played that left wing and Jota has played, you know, um, center forward and now on the left wing before. So there's a bit of competition there, but again, it's just depth. And I, I honestly can't speak a lot on the player because I have, because all I saw was that was the World Cup run. And uh, and man, he just seems like a gunman. He shoots. It, it, my my only impression I got is he shoots a lot, and and that does fit in with Liverpool. <laughs> when we're thinking about one um, of the other guys, I think we're going to be speaking on later. Um, but th- their forwards all shoot a lot, and and he he fits in in that sense. Um, I guess it remains to be seen. Really, is uh, is he able to generate shots at the same rate as? He did in um, in the Netherlands, and I think we usually expect a, some sort of reduction in output when players come from one of those leagues outside the, the big five to, to, into one of the the big five leagues. You always expect some sort of reduction in output, um, and it's just how, how much will that be? Because it was because he was at an astronomical level in, in air divisie. So if it's like if it's like eighty percent of that level, like it's a pretty pretty damn good. Player. I think most people so, will take that. Yeah. Well, I guess the thing, Rihanna, about Cody Gakpo that um, I- I'm thinking about. By the way, first off, the one thing where I did when I like found out that his move to Liverpool was official was I tried to imagine like someone in Liverpool with a Scouse accent trying to say his name, and it's if you just like try and play that in your head, it's hysterical to think about. That's I'm not even going to try and embarrass myself, but like just <laughs> and, think and about the that. Funny thing is, I think the way it's pronounced in Dutch, I think even we are pronouncing it incorrectly. The the G is like a guttural sound. It's it's when I've heard like um, I think like Bengal say his name before. It's it's like it's Hakpo. It's like all the way in the back. Oh, of your throat, so. okay, okay. All right. Well, that's good to know because I, I definitely don't want to try it with the Scouse accent. So that's not going to happen. Um, <laughs> but as it relates to, to him as a player, I think you touched a little bit on my concern earlier. And it's that that left-hand side for Liverpool is the more congested side. And a majority of his play for for PSV has come down that left-hand uh, half space. And in some cases, uh, completely in the left-hand channel. The right-hand side basically serving as support for Mo Salah is really the area of concern that I have because if you take out Mo Salah, who really plays on that right-hand side? Because if I see Oxlade-Chamberlain play there, I'm not watching a Liverpool game this season. But <laughs> if I see, I guess, maybe some change where Cody Gakpo is playing on the right-hand side, maybe that could work, but it's truly not his his position at all. So like, my question ultimately when I found out about this is, how do Liverpool make this work? You have two players in Luis Diaz and Diego Jota that can already play that position. You have Darwin Nunez, who's solidly going to play through the middle with Firmino. And you have Mo Salah down the right-hand side. Who? How? I just don't know how he fits in, right? And it's good to have depth, yeah. it, especially for a team like, like Liverpool right now. But is it good to have... I think in some ways it could be worse to have three really strong 
or even semi-strong players for the same position because there's there's a theory i forget if um i mentioned this to you during the world cup but luis enrique did a press conference where he talked about uh, during the world cup you could take i forget if it was 26 or 28 players to the world cup as your maximum and he i think ended up taking like a couple players short of that and a lot of people asked him why and he was like look there have been studies that have been done in terms of a the psychology of those players that may not play and B, the success of those teams in maybe this is more related to international tournaments, but the point kind of still stands in that if players don't feel like they are valued or there's a risk of that even happening, the team overall doesn't perform. And, and I'm not trying to play amateur psychologist, but I think that is a real question right now for Liverpool, at least from my perspective. How do they make this work? Um, and I'm not entirely sure if this was the necessary signing they needed to make, but they... They do have a very high quality player. I can tell you that. Yeah, that's and that's the question mark for the rest of the season. And, and maybe this is also a signal that Jota's injury is worse than we expected, or Luis Diaz's injury is worse than we expected, uh, or in general, like their kind of um, proneness to being injury to being injured is worse than maybe it was previously thought and they're just kind of under the assumption that hey we there's a good chance that either one of these two guys are, are out for like a third of your season basically every season and and then i could see the reasoning for for going for uh Akbo. valid super valid well rian that's a surprise at least um manchester united again losing out to uh, a star signing, at least uh, the memes have ensued on Twitter. I don't even, I don't even want to go that route. But it wouldn't make shift. any sense for him though there either, right? Like it would not have. kind of no. agree on that. <laughs> I think we we all can agree that it certainly wouldn't have made sense there. Um, th- there are other positions they need to work on. Um, that's the least. Which is why you expected right it now. even more, almost, right? <laughs> yeah, it's part. That's part of the problem. <laughs> very, yeah, it's very true. Um, Rian, let's just focus towards the disappointment uh, of the week from from the Boxing Day weekend. I, I'm you put this down as a disappointment, um, and in some ways, I'm not sure if it's more of a disappointment for Spurs or for Brentford. Obviously, I'm talking about that that game. Um, <laughs> Brentford had gone two 0 up by the early portion of the second half. Tottenham somehow clawed their way back to to two two, end up drawing. Um, fun fact, by the way, Harry Kane, I, I don't know if he's tied or the, the leader now, but he has the most goals on Boxing Day or Boxing Day weekend um, than any other player in the Premier League history uh, with 10. So I, 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 he's still having a great season, I think, at this point. But it, we're, seeing, we're seeing Spurs begin to slip. And this isn't exactly... This isn't like new from where we left off pre-World Cup. I guess that's how I would phrase it. So what were your thoughts on this game? And I guess who is this more of a disappointment for? I mean, I think you might be right. It might honestly be more of a disappointment for Brentford um, that they weren't able to hold on to the lead. But then again, most teams have not been able to do that against Tottenham this season. And, and the disappointment on Spurs' side might be the fact that, you know, they come back from the break and it's the exact same issues that we're seeing, right? It's first half, terrible. <laughs> this season they've scored 10 in the first half and conceded 13. Second half, oh, now it's, now it's time to actually play and they throw more bodies forward. And because they have quality players you know, they create a lot more problems for, for the opponent when they do that. And that's where second half stats this season, um, they have 23 scored and, and 10 conceded. So it's just kind of the same patterns that we're seeing. And at least I don't know, like, I, the answer is probably no, but none of this seems sustainable, right? Like even, even though they've been getting wins and points in a lot of these games, like over a 38 game season, it doesn't feel like this is a sustainable way to play. Um, even though I know they're not going, they're not going behind on purpose, obviously, but 
kind of more of like the philosophy taken towards the first and first half of games. Does it feel sustainable enough for them to finish in the top four? Um, you know, knowing the fact that the teams outside the top four are, are not playing remarkably better, but just say over a 38 game season, like if it doesn't, do you think that this is a sustainable way for, for, for Tottenham to like start off games and, and, um, and still be able to finish in the top four? If I would say this, if they have heart attack medication, maybe, but if they don't, then no, I, I truly don't. And I think one of the, the issues here is that I don't see them changing the way that they play with Conte. Right. I don't see a world in which this team plays more progressively throughout that first half to be able to potentially create or generate more chances. I see a lot of things left towards, okay, this is a must win or, okay, this is a must draw. And we need to crawl, like basically claw our way back because in a lot of ways, and again, I'm not trying to place an amateur psychologist. What I just described in more progressive football is kind of how Pochettino used to play. And I think Spurs as a club have been basically for the last three years trying to move away from that model. And as they've gone from Pochettino to Mourinho to Conte, they, they that's like a progression, right? A year-over-year progression away from progressive football. And in some ways, that's okay. But it's not okay when you're conceding that many chances and basically allowing other players to or other teams to have the ball so uh, that's my my biggest concern quite honestly uh i don't know if that's entirely sustainable but if they can rely on some combination of hungman son and harry kane to continue to score for them maybe it's not so much of an issue but over 38 games that's really really hard yeah i i just i just don't think it's sustainable um and and if doesn't necessarily mean they won't finish in the top four, I think I think if they finish in the top four, it'll be more to do with the fact that you know United and Chelsea, um, yeah, were just like poor. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> this is just not sustainable to me. Like, at least I went tried to go even deeper with this and looked at and went on to Understat, um, which has like a game state calculation. So it looks at you know, performances when the game's tied, um, when losing, and when losing by, like, multiple or winning by uh, one goal or multiple goals, right? And Tottenham, when they've been tied this season, when when the game has been tied, and that doesn't mean 0-0 necessarily, um, they've scored 11 goals, they've conceded 14, their expected goal difference is about plus 0.1, but, but very close to to zero so it's very like marginal like in these games they're not they're not when the game is tied they're not doing a lot in terms of dominating the the chances in the game right when trailing in which they've spent 440 minutes 441 minutes this season trailing they've actually or sorry yeah, trailing. They've actually spent more time trailing this season than winning so far, where, where they've spent around 412 minutes winning. That's actually incredible. I didn't realize that. When they're, when they're trailing, as we see, they're a different team. They've scored 14 goals. They've conceded only six. Their expected goal difference when trailing is plus 1.75. Oh, my God. <laughs> and it's just i don't think this is it's just doesn't bode well i think for consistency over the entire season and being able to be one of the four best teams like they are putting themselves kind of behind the eight ball they're wasting almost 45 minutes of every game (laughs) just if you think about it that way they not every game but in a lot of these games they're just wasting 45 minutes and then once they go down, the game is completely changed. Like the psychology of the other team has changed, as we saw against with Brentford. They started to drop deeper. Um, and when you're down multiple goals, you kind of have nothing to lose. You'd have to throw more players forward. We saw like Hoiberg was in the box for that. I think it was the first goal 
or or what or the second i honestly can't remember now I, I think i think it was for the second goal um the the equalizer where Horiberg is in the box and like there that that just doesn't happen that often for them when the game is tied right so i i think it's just really damning like to have spent most of or not most of your season but more of your season trailing than winning um i just don't see how that plays out well um by the end of the season i agree it's not a winning recipe but here's the thing that's really funny about all of this i agree it's not sustainable but in the first half of the season spurs have picked up 14 points from a losing position so far which is outrageous <laughs> like if you think about 14 oh they're, points, they're in a losing position more than most I, just, what do you they mean? have more opportunities they're, they, oh, have, oh. they, have, they have kind of have a lot of opportunities to, to pick up points from trailing positions. <laughs> that's valid. I just think about that in the context of other teams because that's more teams than I think like the bottom – or more points, excuse me, than the bottom five or bottom six teams in the league right now currently have. Yeah. So if basically they're playing like a relegation, I guess – type team or at least in terms of number of points in terms of time trailing um but they just have more talent that's i think what we can attribute to oh yeah 100 percent um lovely yeah and, and it's whether that whether that's gonna be better than 16 other teams is i'm still skeptical <laughs> on that <laughs> yeah i would i would probably agree with you um but lastly before we wrap up rian so Let's talk about what we're kind of looking forward to. Uh, we were int- not introduced, but at least we uh, we once again got what can only be described as uh, a joyful, hysterical experience uh, this past weekend during Boxing Day. Tell me about what you're most looking forward to, um, I guess, throughout the second half of the <laughs> season. Because I know it's one thing in, in particular. Yeah. <laughs> Yes, I I sat on Boxing Day. Um, uh, I can't remember what time the, this game started, but forty-five minutes into Liverpool, Aston Villa, we had seen the great Darwin Nunez do some a, a few things. We saw him uh, dummy across from about six to seven yards out from goal he, he when he has a chance to just kind of get a shot off really um he decides to dummy it to no one um we saw him try you know a, a light version of of a robin van percy volley from just outside the box when he had some time to take a touch and, and maybe um get a shot off and then a couple of times we just saw him make some weird decisions and or just kind of miss the net um, on some goals. But it was 45 minutes of just the whole Darwin experience, right? And then, I mean, honestly, 90 minutes even because then you get to the end. And granted, he doesn't get an assist. But the third goal scored by Liverpool is from him running in behind and and – keeping the ball in play and, and crossing it to um, Badges towards Badges Edich and and I uh, know it kind of had a couple deflections and he ends up scoring but that game is kind of a microcosm of, of this guy where he led either team with an astonishing like 1.2 xg but he also led the game in shots uh, he led the game in penalty box touches he led the game in progressive passes received and it's just He's such a he's such an obvious like I said on Twitter he's he's such an obvious net positive, right? Um, there's I, I have no clue if if he's gonna end up actually scoring a decent amount of these chances and and whether it'll all kind of even out. Um, you know the it should even out in the long run, um, but again you know whether does or not or whether does or does not. Um, he's obviously providing such a positive impact to this team because what he does is really beneficial for the way that Liverpool plays one. And then also in terms of, you know, getting, these are, these are still like decently good quality shots and, and, uh, and you'd rather have the guy who's missing the big chances and the guy who doesn't even get in position to, to, uh, create them 
Yeah, what you what you just said is the best part. Uh, other than the fact that you forgot to mention, of course, that Darwin Nunez, while he did lead both teams in shots, uh, he had more shots than completed passes in this game, and I think that's hilarious. He had six <laughs> completed. Sorry, he had four completed passes and six total shots. Uh, so jot that down. But I think <laughs> here's here's the difference between Darwin Nunez and I guess the rest of the strikers in the world, or not the rest of the strikers, but other teams in the world. There, there are probably 99.9% of teams in the world right now that would absolutely love to have him as a part of the team. He isn't overwhelming that positive. But all we see as like just, I guess, average, you can call it maybe, football fans is the fact that he's taking these shots and not scoring goals. And I feel like I sound like a stereotypical Liverpool fan when I'm like talking about it this way, but I think it's extremely valid in that if you take Darwin Nunez out of this game and say replace him with Diego Jota, you might you might get the same amount of goals potentially as, as at least his form stands right now, but you will not get the overwhelming number of chances that are created both for himself and for uh, other players. And I think that's exactly how Jurgen Klopp is thinking about it. That's that's how he's explained it. So I, I think he absolutely is an overwhelming that positive and like. We have such short-term memory as football fans now. Like we all very much need to give someone like Darwin Nunez just a little bit of grace and time. He's had what 15, 16 total games this entire season. Just give it, give it a couple more months, and we can figure that out. Yeah. Definitely. And and you kinda of hit the nail there. Like and not even those fifteen games. Remember he got sent off. Like he, he got sent off from and had to miss three games because of that wild headbutt. I completely um, forgot. How could I forget that? That's so true. Yeah. Exactly. He's literally only played, I think, in like eleven I think I think it's eleven Premier League games um this season. So it's you know, uh, it, it needs time, of course. Um and like the the guy's second in the league in terms of expected goals per ninety, um, he's sixth in Europe's top five leagues in that stat, and then he's first in both the Premier League and Europe's top five leagues in terms of shots per ninety and shots on target per ninety. So again, all things that are net positive for the team. Um, again, we've, you can't predict what his conversion rate is going to be like going forward, but it's kind of the same thing that I felt about Timo Werner, like even to the very end, even until he was sold. Um, it sucks when the, when the ball doesn't go in the net. Everyone, I look, soccer's a lot more fun when you score than when you don't. Well, that's, that's not a novel concept, but all of those things that Werner did. And, and what I see a lot when what Nunez does is that it helps the team immensely and defenders, defending teams do not enjoy the guy that's always making the run in behind and is quick enough to get to the ball and also is good enough to get the shot off at least like that's those are all things that are really hard to do uh and to have someone who can consistently do that is pretty great and it helps when you have a guy like Mosala who is going to convert on a good amount of his chances so it can all kind of even out and uh I think that overall whether he scores the bucket loads of goals or not, um, he's obviously contributing so much to this team, and you just can't easily replace that. Hundred percent could could not have said it better myself if I tried. Well, Rian, I think that wraps up everything that we wanted to get through, at least, unless there's something else that you. Oh, I'll, I'll mention one last thing before we we wrap up. I'm looking forward to Julian Lopetegui continuing hopefully for at least more than a season at Wolves. I know his first game <laughs> against Everton was chaotic and probably overwhelming uh, with a 2-1 win in like the 95th minute or something like that. Um, but I'm, I'm just excited to see how he kind of settles into a new life because he's, he's been through the ringer in the last, like, I don't know, four years. <laughs> yeah, along with and, – and I'm excited to see Mateus Cunha as well, who's yeah. arriving from, from Atleti and um, – Gosh, yeah, just the the graveyard of attackers from Atletico over the next <laughs> season or two is going to be an interesting one. 
Yeah, that's definitely more monetary than anything else, but I completely agree. I'm also very excited to see that. Um, so with that, ladies and gentlemen, thank you as always for listening. We'll be back after the weekend and the new year and the rest of the big uh, top five leagues come back in Europe. Um, but as always, stay safe, stay healthy, and we'll talk to you all soon. Thanks, guys.